Amen. Lord, I just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. And Lord, we desire that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way among us. We pray that you would be our teacher. We're desperate for you. Lord, I just pray for everyone who's here. Lord, may our hearts be soft and prepared to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Hey, if you're here tonight and you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, that means you need one because we are going to have a Bible study tonight. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 10. I think that's even the right chapter. If you're here on Sunday, you know what I'm talking about. Proves your, your pastor's extremely human. Blows it. All right, we're going to take a look at Numbers chapter 10. And I, I just want to say, if you're here and you're new tonight, welcome. It's really good to have you here. I hope you feel welcome. I hope you hear, uh, feel like part of the family. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership. You just show up. You love the Lord, you're part of the family, that's the way it works, amen? And I want to encourage us as a church, we look around and we see people who are new, let's make them feel welcome. Remember what it was like the first time you came, right? Let's make them feel welcome, make them feel loved. Well, let's take a look, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 10, but before we do, I want to catch us up, again, you know I'm big on that, I like to put things in their context, and again, if you're new here and never been here on a Wednesday night, I want you to understand what Numbers is all about. Genesis is all about creation and how God created man in His image, and then man blew it. Man chose to sin. We get to Exodus, and, and after 400 years of bondage, we see that God delivers them out of bondage, and the last plague that came that really was what God used to deliver them was what? Who remembers? It was Passover, basically. It was what they now celebrate as Passover. And what happened was that the angel of death came, and remember that what caused the angel of death to pass over? It was any home where they had taken the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb, and they couldn't just take the blood of the lamb, but they had to apply the blood of the lamb to the house. And they put it on the four points, the same four points where Jesus would bleed from, both hands, the feet, and where the crown of thorns would be, and the angel of death would pass over, and they were delivered out of bondage. That's what happened to you and I. We fell into, we're all sinners. That's what Genesis taught us, right? We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Exodus delivered from bondage. That's what happened on the cross. That's what Passover is a picture of. Then we get to Leviticus, and Leviticus really talks about a holiness. How to walk in holiness before God. We've been saved, now what? Okay, I'm a Christian, now what? I'm on the cruise ship to heaven, I just, you know, put the get out of hell free card in my wallet, live like the world, or is something different about me now? Should I be different? And the answer is absolutely. And then that's what Leviticus is all about, how we approach God, and remember that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And the word blood is in the book of Leviticus numerous times, I think it was 87 times off the top of my head. And so it's in our, and again, because there must be the shedding of blood for there to be forgiveness for sin. And so we get to Numbers, and a lot of times Numbers gets a bad rap. You tell people you're, gonna, you're studying through the book of Numbers, and they about fall out of their chair. What? Because they think that it's just an endless genealogy, and it's got a bunch of lists of names, but that's not it at all. The book of Numbers is really, and I've told you this before, I think it would be better entitled, In the Wilderness. While every word in the Bible is inspired by God, the titles for the books are not necessarily... It's called Numbers because the people are numbered twice, but the entire book is about Israel wandering through the wilderness. Now what we've seen so far in Numbers is that our God is not only a God that desires that we walk in holiness, but He is a God of order. You know, God is, you know, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, the Bible says. And too many churches you go into are, you know, it's just out of control. And that's not God. Now God wants to move in a mighty way, but there's order when God is involved, amen? And so the first chapter, he numbers the people. Then in chapter 2, we saw that he organized how the people would camp. How many of you guys remember that? Now remember that he organized them by, by uh, tribes. And each of the tribes were three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south. 
And it seemed like when they were reading it, why is this significance? Who cares? Why do we have to talk about all this stuff? Well, I want to remind you just real quickly, because we're going to look at it briefly again at the end of this chapter. But I want, you to, I want to remind you of what God looked down on when he looked down upon the children of Israel. And I am, I'm audio-visually handicapped, so the chance of this working right are slim to none, but we'll see what happens. Probably be upside down and backwards or something. How about it? By God's grace. All right. Okay. So when they looked down, when God the Father looked down on the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness, this is what he saw. The tabernacle at the center. And what dwelled in, who dwelled in the tabernacle? The presence of God. The person of the Holy Spirit, right? Above the Ark of the Covenant. I want to encourage you, the tapes here are always free. Get some of the tapes on Exodus. You'll hear all about the, the different furnishings that were there. But when God the Father looked down, He saw the cross, and they were encamped in the cross. So they've gone from being in sin, delivered from bondage. Now they're living in temporary dwelling places and tents. They're encamped in the cross, and where are they headed? To the promised land. Total picture of us. We're dwelling in these temporary tents. We're encamped in the cross of Christ. By His shed blood, we've been born again. We're in the wilderness in a sense that we're living in this world, but where are we headed? To the promised land, to where? To heaven. And so we're seeing here as we go through numbers that right after that he then gives practical service for the different tribes. And he looks at the Levites, and the Levites were called to be the what? What what were they called to do? To be the priests, right? Now remember that the Levites were called to be priests after the firstborn had been called to be priests, but what happened to the firstborn? What did they do? Who remembers? Strange fire. They rebelled against God. Remember what happened when Moses went up on the mountain, he came down, and what did he find him doing? They were, they were idol worshiping. They were partying. They had a golden calf. They were out of control. And then he said, all who want to serve God, come to me. And what tribe? Every Levite came. And God said, from this point forward, you guys are going to be the priests now. You're going to be the ones that are, are going to camp around the tabernacle that's at the center there. They were the ones that camped closest to it. And then each of the families, the three families of the Levites, were given specific jobs. The Kohathites were called to, to carry the tabernacle, furn- the tabernacle furnishings themselves. The Gershonites carried the curtains and the linens, and the Merarites carried the bar- boards and the hardware. So he gave practical service. Then after practical service, he, gave them, uh, he talked to them about being purified spiritually. Remember, uncleanness had to be put out of the camp. Someone was a leper, what happened? Put outside the camp, and they couldn't come back in until they were healed. Somebody had an issue of blood or a discharge of some kind, they were put out of the camp. Somebody touched a dead body, they were put out of the camp. And we talked about the fact that leprosy is a picture of the sin that everybody sees. You know, if you've got a sin that everybody can see real clearly, that's leprosy. You're not hiding it from anybody. But then that flow of blood or that discharge is something nobody sees. God knows you have it, God knows you're doing it, and you can hide it from the world, but you can't hide it from God. That too separates us from the Lord in our fellowship with Him. And then... Touching a dead body is touching the world. And those things, they were banished outside of the kingdom. Then we come to chapter 7, the second longest chapter in the, in the Bible. And it was all about giving. And we saw how they were called and they came and they gave. And, and while the, the children of Israel had a lot of problems, they made a lot of mistakes. One area where they didn't make mistakes was giving. If you remember back in Exodus 25, they needed to build a tabernacle and the altar. And, and it just said, whoever feels led to give... Bring what you want. And he wouldn't take any offerings that day. He said, you go home and you pray about it and you give when you want to give. And people gave so much, what did he have to do? He had to tell them to stop bringing stuff. Don't bring any more stuff, we got too much. 
Now we come to chapter 7, and there's, there's a need for the day-to-day stuff. They're going to need the tabernacle, and the 12 tribes get together, and they all bring and give to God's work. We then got to chapter 8. We saw a portrait of a servant. And in chapter 9 last week, we saw the intimate walk with God. How do you have an intimate walk with God? There was two things we saw. Passover, remembering what Christ has done for you. Communion, having an intimate relationship with Him. And then second of all was following God's lead. Now how did God lead them through the wilderness? Just a reminder. How did He lead them? He led them when the pillar or the cloud would get up from the tabernacle and move. He said, when the cloud moves, you move. When the pillar of fire moves, you follow. And so I told, we talked about last week, Hal, that when they got up in the morning or any time during the day, where were they looking most of the time? They had to keep looking up because they wanted to make sure if that cloud moved, they were following it. An example for you and I is that we need to be looking up. We can get so busy doing our jobs and taking care of our stuff and doing things around the house and you know, chasing our hobbies that we forget about God for a while. Maybe till next Sunday or next Wednesday, you know, the dust is collecting on our Bible. And God so wants us to have an intimate walk with Him, but for that to happen, we have to be looking up. Now, that brings us to chapter 10. And as we get to chapter 10, we're going to see that it's one thing to trust God in theory, but it's a yet another thing to put feet to your faith. And I titled the message tonight, God's, God's Call to Move. God calls His people to move. God did not save us that we would be, you know, pew potatoes, right? God didn't call us so we could just be sedentary and, you know, just waiting for... God called us to use us and He's given us gifts. It's one thing to say that I know God will provide and it's another thing when you got a ton of money in the bank. I know God will provide for me. That half a million dollars in my bank account doesn't make me feel any worse, right? And it's real easy to say that, but it's much harder to say God will provide when you, don't have, when you just lost your job and there's no money left in the bank. Is God just as faithful in both cases? Is God just as much in control? Absolutely. It's one thing to say that, that I trust God when your whole family is healthy, and it's yet another thing to say it when you or someone in your family has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. It's one thing to say that you trust God with your whole heart while you're sitting in church, but it's yet another to proclaim it at work or at school or in your neighborhood. It's one thing to stand here and worship God, but how do we do at work? How do we do in a neighborhood? Does everybody in our neighborhood know we're Christians? Do our coworkers know that we're saved? You youth group kids that are in here, do the people in your school know that you're born again? Or are we undercover Christians? And it's one thing to say, Lord, I know you have a calling upon my life, but it's yet another to respond to it. And that's really what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to see that God's got a calling these guys to move and they have a choice to make. And God's calling us to move and we have a choice to make. We can, again, be on, cruise, on the cruise ship to heaven, on cruise control and just letting it all happen. Or we can be active in doing things for the kingdom of God. And so sometimes it's hard. And, and it could be something as simple as God calling you to teach Sunday school or to come early and set up chairs or to start a Bible study at work or a Christian club in your school if you're in school. Or, you know, to go to Africa and be a missionary or to serve others by sharing your faith. So let's take a look. And we're going to take a look at God's call to move. We're first going to see God's instrument to confirm His leading And then we're going to see following God's lead. So we're going to see that God has an instrument to make sure we've heard from Him. God has a clear way. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. I said that before. Sometimes people say to me, I'm really confused. I don't know what to do. I'll say, that's not God then. Because God doesn't work that way. God doesn't have you wandering and, you know, tossing to and fro. When you've heard from the Lord, you go full speed because you know that you know. I think I told you this. When I came here, Pastor Don McClure, my pastor in San Jose, 
He said, Dave, you need to make sure that you know you're called because if you don't know that you're called to be in Santa Cruz, the first problem you're going to have, you'll have two problems. Because when the first problem arises, you'll have the problem you're facing and then the, you'll be wondering, was I even supposed to be here? Maybe I missed God completely. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be here. But if you know you've heard from God, when the problem comes up, it's okay because God brought me here. Now it's God's problem. Amen? Lord, you brought me. It's all good. You knew I was coming. You knew this was going to happen. This doesn't surprise you. And so when God calls us, He's not going to confuse us. He's going to clearly direct us. He's a loving and a gracious God. So let's begin in verse 1 in Numbers chapter 10. We're going to look at God's call to move. And the instrument that God uses to confirm his leading. Look at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. Now, what does he make these trumpets out of? What does it say? Silver. Silver is a picture of what? Talked about this? Redemption. What did they pay to release a slave? 30 pieces of what? Silver. What was Jesus betrayed for? 30 pieces of silver. What do they use to hold up the boards, to hold up the tabernacle? Silver. And so when you see silver, you think of redemption, okay? And so they were to take one solid piece of silver and take that silver and hammer it into a trumpet. I'll tell you what, you've got to be one incredible craftsman to be taking a piece of silver and hammering a trumpet out of it. Man, you know that's the Lord. You can hand me a piece of silver in the next 500 years and it would not happen. There's just no way. There's got to be some calling involved there. And they take this solid piece of silver and begin to, to hammer to make this trumpet. Now, it's interesting, again, that why a solid piece of silver? I believe perfectly because there's only one perfect holy God. Amen? And we don't need 18 pieces coming together. There's one. And there's no dross and there's no foreign metal and, it's, and our God is perfect. But also, I believe that the trumpet points to something. And here's what I believe the trumpet points to. I believe it points to God's Word. Let me tell you why. Look what it says here. We hear this about trumpets. I'm going to take a minute to share this with you. I looked up trumpets. I went through some verses. And where do you see trumpets in the Bible? When God's people entered into battle, they blew a trumpet before they went in. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua fought the battle of what? Jericho. What did they do when they were marching around? They blew a trumpet. Remember, they shouted and the walls came down. Gideon in Judges 7 was fighting an army that outnumbered him. It says that army was like locusts in the wilderness. There were so many people coming against them. The Amalekites and the the Midianites and the people of the east, they were numerous as locusts. And what did they do? They blew trumpets. And when they blew them, the enemy got confused and started killing each other. That's what happened. God is greater than any enemy. Amen? We also see that a trumpet was used to herald the truth. They would blow it and then speak the truth. And so the trumpet heralded the truth. The trumpet was used to enter people into praise. Trumpet was used to warn God's people. They would blow a trumpet as a warning sound. The trumpet was used, as, we're going to, as we saw here, to call an assembly together. And then ultimately, when is the ultimate trumpet going to do? What's it going to do? We're out of here. Bible says in, in Matthew 24, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And so the trumpet was, will be sounded. And when it does, it, it, it's the rapture of the church. So we see here in, in 1 Corinthians, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for a trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
So this is why I believe a trumpet's a picture of the Word. Because God's Word prepares us for battle. Amen? It's a spiritual battle. The Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness and high places. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. What's the only offensive weapon? What is it? It's the Word. Everything else is defensive. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, right? Breastplate of righteousness. What's the offensive weapon? God's Word. And so we see that it prepares us for battle. God's Word heralds the truth, doesn't it? Because it is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the Word is a picture of Him. It provokes praise. Have you ever read the Bible and it just drives you to praise the, praise the Lord? A lot of the songs we sing are simply God's Word with music to them. Amen? God's Word, a trumpet, warns us that of impending harm and judgment. That's what God's Word does. And so did the trumpet. They would blow it as a warning that the enemy was coming. And the Word of God does the same. It warns us when we're about to stumble. It's something that God uses. It gathers God's people together. What are we doing here tonight? We're here to worship the Lord and to hear from His Word, and that's what God's Word does, just like the trumpet. And then we know that it draws us into deeper fellowship with Him. And so this hammered work, this piece of silver was hammered out, this trumpet was made, and this trumpet was going to be used to bring the congregation together. Now, this is interesting because it says there, you shall use them for calling the congregation and directing the movements of the camp. Now, wait a minute. Didn't we just study last week and didn't it tell us something else was going to direct the movement of the camp? What was it? The fire in the cloud, right? Why do we need a trumpet? Didn't, didn't the Lord say when the cloud moves, you go? And when the clouds, you, you follow the cloud. You follow the pillar of the fire. So now we got to, tr- why do we need the trumpet? Why do we need the trumpet? Well, the cloud is a picture of what? The Holy Spirit, right? Leading and guiding and directing, right? Where is it? It's in the center of that cross. It's in the center of our lives. It indwells us. It's what leads us, right? But guess what? What is it that confirms the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives? God's Word. You know what? God will, the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do something contrary to what the Bible says. Amen? Contrary to what a lot of people have tried to convince me of. You've been in a counseling session and it's just infamous. But God told me. No, God did not. I just, I've prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit's leading me to go be with this guy who's not saved. Uh, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So either the Holy Spirit lied to you, which can't happen. It's impossible, right? God's word is wrong, and you're right. Or you're wrong, right? And here's the reality, that we need God's word because people can be fooled by their emotions, amen? People can, now be honest. Have you ever in your life and I'm going to be the first one with my hand up, thought the Holy Spirit was leading you to do something and it wasn't Him. Raise your hand. I've, you thought, well, the Holy Spirit's leading. It's God. God's totally in this. You know what? That's why the Word of God is so powerful. Because we're seeing here that the cloud's going to move, but then the trumpet's going to blow. And what this does is this causes the children of Israel to do a few things. Look at verse 3 and 4. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall be before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if you blow only one, then the leaders and the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. Now, I find this interesting. They had to be looking up to watch for the clouds, so they had to keep their eyes open. What else did they have to keep open? Their ears. They had to be looking up and watching for the the moving of the clouds so they would know they're supposed to follow. But now they also had to keep their ears open. They had to be attentive to God. You know, don't we need more of that in our lives? Amen? 
We need to be looking up, but we need to have our ears open. Lord, how do you want to use me? Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but also be spending time daily in God's Word saying, Lord, show me and teach me and direct my life. Make me more like you. Lord, show me what you want me to do. And so we see that they had to be looking up, and they had to have their ears open and be attentive. And you and I need to be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of God's Word. Verse 5. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. Verse 6. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journey. So you know what this means? That means that there was a certain kind of trumpet sound that was made when they wanted to gather the people together, and there was yet another sound that was made when the people were to march out. But I love this because it's the same trumpet giving both instructions. Trumpet's a picture of what? The Word of God. Is the Word of God sufficient to instruct us in every manner of life? Absolutely. You know, it's one of the attacks going on in the world today, attacking the inerrancy of Scripture. Can I just, I I say it to you every week, but I'm going to tell you one more time. God's Word, every single word, every single comma, every single dot, every single thing in here is inspired by God. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And the world today is trying to water it down and say, well, part of the Bible is from God and part of it's not. And we're going to pick and choose. And if Jesus said it, it's okay. But if Paul wrote it, if Paul wrote it, Jesus said it. Amen? Because God's the one who put it in his heart. It's the Holy Spirit who inspired it. And this is the word. He says he elevates his word above his name. And so we see here that that same instrument that tells them to gather together is the same instrument that can be used to uh, uh, tell them when it's time to march out. The same instrument that can help you with your marriage. That can help you in walking in holiness before God. That can help you in raising godly children. That can help you to understand what your spiritual gifts are. That help you, help, you, help you to understand prophecy. Help you understand the nature and the grace and the mercy of God. It's all the same book. Amen? What a powerful book. And yet we sometimes we say, man, I'm struggling. I, I'm doing really difficult. My walk's not doing so great. And, you know, I just watched a, you know, a Seinfeld marathon and I haven't read my Bible in five weeks. But I'm struggling. How many can bear witness with that? I, you know, I just haven't read my... Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? We need to open this thing up and let God minister to our hearts. And so I love it because it will minister to me about my marriage one moment, and the next time I read, it'll minister to me about my own personal walk in holiness before God, and then it will give me an urgency to share my faith with the lost, and it's all the same book. You've got to love the Bible. You know what? We don't need a lot of, a lot of other books in our library. I, I, I need enough time to read this one. I get a lot of books given to me as a pastor. Here, read this, read this, read this. And a lot of times I get to like a chapter and a half. My wife, it kills my wife. I'm infamous. I got 57 books I've read the first chapter of. I, I do. Did you read that book? Well, part of it. That's pretty much the end. If it's not in the first chapter, I didn't read it, right? Because the reality is that I'll be, and there's nothing wrong with reading other books. That's great. But, I, you know, I start reading those other books, and I'm looking at my Bible, and I'm going, yeah, enough of this. And I get my Bible out. Because this is really the, the word, living, breathing Word of God. God can use those books as well. So the same horn that gathers people together is the same horn that would send them out. Verse 7. And when assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not the sound of the advance. Again, a different sound, the same trumpet, multiple applications. It can gather the people together, or again, it can sound the advance to send them out. Verse 8. 
And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. And these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generation. So who are the ones that were to blow the trumpets? The priests. So who is responsible for, in a sense, proclaiming the word? The priests were. Now, who are the priests today? Who are they? We are. The Bible says, guys, you're the priest of your household. Did you know that? God's called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. Who's God calling to be the salt and light in your workplace and in your neighborhood? That'd be you, right? Use Pastor Don's analogy many times. Santa Cruz County doesn't take all the lights and put them on one street corner. Electric company spreads them all out all over the city, right? So it can be light everywhere. And you might say, well, I'm the only person in my workplace that's saved. That's why you're there. Amen? God put you there for a reason. He wants you to be a halogen light in that place. You're it. And so the same thing is true, that the priests were called to herald the truth, to be the ones that blew the horn, and we're called to be the, the ones, again, that blow that trumpet, that proclaim the truth, that aren't ashamed of the Word of God. Again, to sound the advance, to gather the people together, verse 9. And when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. So when difficulties come, and when the battles come... The battle belongs to who, the Bible says? The Lord. And so when difficulties come and trials come and battles come, what should we do? We should come before the Lord. And we should go to His Word and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I'm seeking Your face. And look what it says here. I love this. He says, when you do that and your enemy oppresses you and you sound the alarm with the trumpets, you will be remembered before the Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. I think this is a verse Joshua must have read. Right? Right? overwhelmed, march around Joshua. Gideon, armies mounting up, let's blow the trumpets. Now does that sound like good military strategy? Let's get a band together. There's 500,000 enemy. Let's blow some horns, that'll work. Now the reality is, that's an act of faith. It's trusting God. Lord, we trust you. You told us to. We trust you. It doesn't make sense from the world's perspective. In the face of adversity, may we not back away from proclaiming the word of God. Isn't that what the world tries to get us to do? Dude, mellow out, lighten up, and relax a little bit already, right? Why you got to be talking about the Bible all the time? Why can't we talk about something profitable like the 49ers, right? You know, I mean, people want to talk about stuff that's all burnt. And hey, I'm a football fan. I play college football most. You know, I love football, but I love Jesus way more than football. Amen? And too often, we're afraid to speak the truth. And he's saying, look, in the middle of the battle, the best place to go is to God's Word. In the middle of the struggle, what is it that doesn't return void? Pastor Dave's opinions, your opinion? Oh, God's Word. They may walk away, but God's Word doesn't return void. Share with them, you know, Jesus loves you. And they hate that when you tell them that, but and I haven't figured out why. The Lord loves you so much, he'd, die, he'd rather die than live without you. Oh man, don't tell me that. But love Him anyway. And in the midst of the battle, blow the trumpet. Sound the word of God. Verse 10. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow your trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a memorial for you before God, your God. I am the Lord your God. So they didn't just blow trumpets when they were in the wilderness. They blew trumpets when they got to the land of promise. Now we know this generation is not going to get there, but when they get to the land of promise, they're going to keep blowing trumpets because they're going to do it in celebration, at religious feasts, at the Feast of Trumpets, appropriately enough. During the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, at Passover, at Pentecost, to announce the year of Jubilee, and 
celebration of God's presence and a memorial of all that He has done. You know what? Isn't God's Word a memorial to us in a sense of everything God has done? It's not dead, it's living and breathing, but it tells us all that God has done for us and all that God's going to do for us. And when they blew the trumpet, it was, they looked at the sacrifice and it was remembering what God had done for them or was going to do for them in this case. That Jesus was going to come. A sacrifice was going to be made. The price was going to be paid. Passover, Pentecost, all of it was looking forward. And so they were to, to blow the trumpet. You know, it says in Revelation 1.10, it refers to Jesus' voice as a loud trumpet. Isn't that interesting? Who's the word? Jesus. And they, they refer to his voice as a loud trumpet in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. So again, the word of God. I believe the trumpet's a clear picture of that. So why did they need the trumpet when they already had the cloud? I believe it's confirmation. Hey, the Holy Spirit's leading me, but it's going to be confirmed in the word of God. I tell people that all the time, struggling with a decision. I say, pray and ask God to give you something clearly from the word. But God, yes, he will, and he can. Ask him. God's not going to withhold that from you. Lord, show me something in your word. I need direction. I need to hear from you. Show me from your word. I can't tell you the number of times he's done that for me. And he will do that for you if you ask him. So we see God's instrument for confirming the leading, and that's the trumpet or the word of God. And now we'll see them actually following God's lead. We're going to go through a a good chunk of this fairly quickly because we looked at this back when we were in Exodus, but we'll take a look at it. Begin in verse 11. And it says there, Now it came to pass... On the twentieth day of the second month, in the second year, that a cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. Okay. Twentieth day of the second month. They were given this instruction on the first day. So twenty days later, the cloud finally moves. Now understand something. How long have they been at Mount Sinai? About a year. So they've been trekking through the wilderness. They crossed the Red Sea. They escaped bondage. They finally get to Mount Sinai, and they've been there for a year. They've got the tabernacle set up, and they're just chilling. They get up in the morning and go out of their tent, and what do they pick up off the ground? Manna, right? So God's providing for them. There's no marching. They're just relaxing. Life is good. And now on the 20th day, the cloud moves. Oh, man. Right? I mean, I'm just, this is pretty nice right here. Mount Sinai is right there. This is great. And you know, I tell you what, I believe this has such a a clear picture for us because often we are so caught up in our current way of life that we don't want to move or do anything different than what we're doing right now. You know what? God had something greater for these guys. He had the land of promise, the land of milk and honey. They're living out in the wilderness eating manna. And God's got the land of milk and honey waiting for them. But when the the cloud moved, there was a question, all right, do we want to follow God or not? When the cloud moves in your life, sometimes we don't want to follow God. Because you know what? Most people don't like to get stretched. And most people don't want to leave their comfort zone. How many of you will confess that that's true? I don't like to leave my, you know, I just want to, I'm good right here. And I'm not picking on you ladies, but I think women tend to be even more so because Maybe that's just my house. My wife likes to nest. You know, get the house. It's all good. Pictures are on the right spot. Everything, you know what I mean? We're moving. Now, my wife's been a trooper. We've moved several times because of ministry, and she's always, yeah, let's go. I'm ready. But the reality is that I know a lot of times, and it could be tough for us too, guys. You know, you get in the comfort zone. You got the, you know, everything's put in the house the way you want it. Everything's set up, and it's just like, I don't want to do anything different. I just want to just be right here and chill, right? 
I don't want to change anything. But the more comfortable we become, the less welcome change is, and yet there's no growth without challenge, and there's no challenge without change. You want to have a testimony? There must be a test in your life. Without a test, there can be no testimony. And we just want to, you know, be comfortable. And comfort usually leads to complacency, and complacency is the enemy of character and spiritual growth. If you're complacent in your walk with God, that's right where the enemy wants you. Just chill and wait till God comes back. It's all good. Go home and watch your big screen TV for 19 hours a day and, you know, go, go fish on the week and let the people next to you don't, not know about God. It's all good. I got mine. I'm not worried about you. And, you know, that, and that's where the Lord, the enemy wants us, just to be complacent. But complacency is the opposite of what God wants to do in us. There can be no change. There can be no transformation. It hurts to be stretched, doesn't it? But how do you grow? By being stretched. Ask the guys on staff here. I love to stretch people. I do. I'll ask guys to do stuff that they're probably not ready for. You know, hey, I'm going to be out of town. You want to teach next Wednesday? <laughs> right? But that's good. Hey, Friday morning, you want to be up? You want to teach the men's Bible study? I've never taught before. Well, you've got to be a first time sometime, right? You know, give them an opportunity because that's, and it isn't, and I remember, hey, I've been there. I remember I had five minutes notice the first time I taught adults. I got a phone call. You've heard this story. I went in. The, they came out and said, Pastor John wants to talk to you. I went into his office thinking he was in there, and the phone was off the hook. I picked up the phone. I'm like, yeah? And he goes, yeah, I'm stuck at the airport in Seattle. You're teaching. What? I'm teaching when? Oh, probably about five minutes, I'm thinking. Well, that ain't even right. I'm sitting in my suit in the front row, all complacent, right? I'm just, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to study the Bible. It's been a long day. I'm going to just sit down and eat. And all of a sudden, oh, Right? But praise the Lord, because that's when we grow, when we get stretched. And praise God for a pastor who would stretch me. So if I'm stretching it, it's because I love you, right? I won't call you to do anything. I'll let the Lord do that. But if I see your calling and you've recognized that I may stretch you. You know what? Every time we go through one of these experiences in life, one or two things can happen. We can trust God and we can grow, or we can disobey God and stay right where we're at, or even fall away from Him. That's what can happen. May we learn to trust Him. You know what? Hold on to nothing but Jesus. The Bible says, this isn't what a Bible says, this is what uh, Jim Elliot said. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A man is no fool to let go of stuff that's passing away anything. The only thing we should hold on to is the only thing that won't perish. And that's our relationship with the Lord. The rest of it's going to pass away. I've yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? I mean, when you die, that's it. And the only thing we take with us is our relationship with Him. Verse 12. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness, so they obeyed of Sinai on their journeys when the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So the children of Israel see the cloud moving, they heard the trumpet blow, and they started marching. They were obedient to the Lord. Praise God for them. May we learn from that example. Verse 13. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So they heard Moses' word. Again, they've seen the trumpet, and it was important not only that they moved, but how they moved. Why is it important how they moved? This is why. What if, what if the tribe of Judah decided they had their own program? I'm thinking we don't want to be right here. I'm thinking we want to be perpendicular. We just kind of want to be sideways. There'd be no cross, right? And sometimes we're that way. God's got a calling on our life, and we're like, well, I, you know, i got something else in mind. And the reality is that God's called you because He wants to use you, and He has His place to use you. If, you're, if this is your home church and you're called to be here, God wants to use you here. We're all in the ministry, amen? And God's given you gifts that I don't have. 
and that other pastors don't have, and other people sitting here don't have. And there's some of you who can share with somebody things that I can't, and minister to people things that I can't. And God wants to use you, but God wants us just to be available to say, here I am, Lord. We often question God because we don't see the big picture. We're only thinking about how it's going to impact me, not how it impacts the kingdom. We've got a, a physical focus rather than an eternal one. Well, if I volunteer for children's ministry, then man, two Sundays a month, I'm going to be in there with those kids? I don't, I don't think I want to do that. And if that's your heart, please don't do that. I don't want you in there with those kids, all right? But praise God, I've told you, Mrs. Green, I'm four and a half years old. This lady was, I, you know, when you're four and a half, everyone's old, right? But she was, seemed old to me. She's probably 40, but I, she might have been 60. I don't know. But she was teaching the children's ministry every week, and she led me to the Lord. And, and no doubt, that was almost that was 36 years ago. She's probably with the Lord now. Do you know Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is fruit of her faithfulness? Amen? Everything that happened. And why? Because she was called by God, and she said, I'm going to go minister to these five or six, you know, four- and five-year-olds every week, and I'm just going to love them, and I'm going to teach them the Bible. Because she was called by God, and she didn't view it as a small calling. She said, God's calling me, so it must be great, so I'm going to do it. And it might have been a stress for her, I don't know, but she did it. And praise the Lord that she did. I'm thankful because God used her to lead me to Him. May we not be focused on how it will make us uncomfortable, but focus on the eternal. Now let's go through these fairly quickly because it's up there on the board. I want you to see it. Now the standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies over their army of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathanael and the son of Zuar. And over the army of the tribe of, the, of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Halon. Now, who was the first tribe to march out? It was Judah. Which direction did they head? East. Why did Judah go first? Judah means praise. And praise always leads us. Amen? But also, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. And so Judah went first because Judah was the one who, through whom the Messiah was going to come. And he was the one that led the way. It's interesting to me that Judah was the one facing east. Those of you going to Israel with us here on March 24th, we're going to see the eastern gate. And guess what? That's where Christ's return is. Okay? So, headed east, not by chance. Judah going first picture of our savior and so judah was the first tribe we also know that judah that each one it says there in that in verse 14 that they carried a standard above them the standard of the camp of the children of judah what was the standard it was a big banner you guys were here when we looked at this in numbers two on the banner it was a different color and on the banner they had an emblem that rep- represented that tribe what was on judah a lion and so they were carrying this banner in front of them it was a green banner with a lion on it and they went out in front. Look at verse 17. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari set out carrying the tabernacle. Now, who are Merari and Gershon? Who are they? What are they? They're Levites. And so these guys were the ones that were in charge, called by God, to take down the tabernacle, and they followed right behind. So imagine them marching. They blow the horn. And when they blow the horn, All of those in the eastern, 186,400 of them, started marching. And that's just men, by the way. You've got women and children on top of that. So they start marching, headed due east. And then right behind them is the tabernacle. And the the Gershonites and the Merarites have torn the tabernacle down, and they began to carry the tabernacle right behind Judah. Now imagine this, this is, you know, when you add women and children, this is somewhere between 2 and 3 million people. This is no small task, Right? 
I got four kids and sometimes it takes forever to get them all, you know, into the van, you know. I can't imagine three million, you know, all right, when the horn blows. And that's why there needs to be organization. That's why there can't be confusion. The Holy Spirit must lead. The Word of God must be involved. The trumpet must be blown. And so right behind them, and I believe, again, they were sent out first. Let me tell you why. They were sent ahead of the Kohathites. Because what do the Kohathites bring? They bring the articles. So the Morarites and the Gershonites are going to get there first. They're going to set up the tabernacle. And by the time the Kohathites get there, they can march the, the, uh, in, uh, the furnishings into the tabernacle and set them up where they belong. Verse 18. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set out according to their armies. Over the army was Eliezer, the son of Shador. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shemesh. Nice name. Shelemuel and Zereshada, Shaddai, Zereshaddai. And all of the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Elisaph, the son of Duel. Now, the next tribe was now Reuben. Now, where was Reuben? He's to the south. So they blow the trumpet. Judah starts marching out. Right behind them comes the, the, the tabernacle and the Levites behind them. And then right behind them, Reuben would come in behind them and just line up and they start marching ahead, following the cloud that was leading them, also having the horn blown before them. Remember again that in the front would be a banner. What was on that banner for Reuben? It was a man, the face of a man. Talk about the significance of that when we get done. The next behind them, verse 21, were the Kohathites. And what did they carry? The furnishings of the tabernacle. Remember that the Kohathites, to me, had the most intimidating of all jobs. Because what happened if they happened to touch one of these furnishings? Boom, game over. Now, we're going to see in that later text that the Ark of the Covenant actually went out in front of Judah. Moses and Aaron went out in front. We'll see that at the end of this chapter. And the Ark of the Covenant was in front of them and, the, and following the cloud. Because it's where God's presence dwelt. And remember when they carried the Ark? Remember... There was going to be a guy later named Uzziah. What happened? He puts it on a cart instead of carrying it with the poles. And it hits a rut. And the thing starts to fall over. And what does he do? He touched it. And what happened to him? Dead. Touch not the glory. Amen? And the Kohathites didn't even see it. What would happen is the, the priest would go in and cover everything up. And once it was covered, they would pick it up by its poles. And they wouldn't see it. They would just carry it. And they would follow along. And so the Kohathites would come up behind and they're carrying those, those furnishings. Verse 22. And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set out according to their armies. Over their army was Elishema, the son of Amahud. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedazer. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abadan, the son of Gideonai. Now, again, this is the next group that goes out. Tribe of Ephraim. From the west. So they're coming. The south goes. The tabernacle goes. The south comes. Now the west is coming in behind them. Again, God's order is perfect. They could have questioned it and wondered why. Can you imagine if they didn't wait for the horn to blow what kind of mass, out of control, disaster it would have been? Can you imagine three million people just going, all right, the cloud's moving. <laughs> be the Who concert all over, right? I mean, there'd be people trampled to death all over the place. But God had a divine order, and God had a divine plan, it took patience, didn't it? If you're, if you're in the tribe of Dan, you might have been hanging out for a while. How long would it take like two million people to move? You'd feel they hear the first horn and be like, oh, let's make some lunch. It's going to be a while. I've been here, man, it took like four hours to get to us. It's like going to the waiting room at the doctor's office. Why do they make an appointment at 2 if they're going to see at 5.30? But 
The same thing's happening here, right? The, tor- the horns are blowing, everyone's moving, Dan just, all right. But they had to wait till God's perfect timing and be still and know that God was in control. And so on the west side, we saw them go out and they had a banner, and it was a golden banner, and on that banner was an ox. Verse, last few verses here of, of looking at the, the armies, or not the, of the people, tribes. Verse 25, Then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps, set out according to their armies. Over their army was Ahazer, the son of Amashadai. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pegiel, the son of Okran. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. Now, so they go out, and that's the final group, and that's Dan, the tribe of Dan is the lead group from the north. They go out, they're carrying a banner, and on their banner, it was a red and white banner, was the face of an eagle. Verse 28. Thus was the order of march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. So they went out, they did it in perfect order according to God's perfect plan. Now I mentioned those four, and I'm not going to go into all the details of it. I'd encourage you to get the Numbers chapter 2 tape if you want to hear all the detail because it's really an awesome chapter. But the four different things that were on the banners that went out in front of them, when you go to Ezekiel chapter 1, it speaks of the cherubim. What are cherubim? What are they? They're angels. And it says, and also says in Revelation, that on the face of the cherubim were four faces on the cherubim. What were they? The face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. Isn't it interesting? They're marching through the wilderness and camped in a cross, and they're carrying banners that are in pictures of the angelic host. Why? Who's walking with them? Holy Spirit's with them. The angels are with them. I mean, we look at it, and, and, and for them at the time, they might have wondered, what are we doing? And what's it, why the banner? Why, the, why are we going in this order? Why are we camped this way? They didn't know what a cross was. But they were fulfilling God's perfect will. And sometimes it happens in our life. We don't understand why God's doing this. Why does God want us to go this direction? And God wants us just to trust Him and say, Lord, I don't fully understand, but I know you're in control and I trust you. And I'm just going to do it. And some of it we'll find out when we get to heaven. Amen? Some of we won't know for sure until we get to heaven. And so the Lord just wants us to walk in obedience to Him. I love it. What a clear picture of our God. And how he's totally in control. And nothing happens by chance in his kingdom. Now notice as they're headed to the land of, of milk and honey, look at Moses' heart. Moses doesn't say, okay, I've been on Sinai, now we're marching. How long was this march supposed to take? How long could they have done it in if they had walked straight? 11 days. How long does it take? 40 years. Disobedience is coming. They've been obedient so far, but they're not going to continue to walk in obedience. But watch Moses. I love this. Because Moses starts walking, and Moses has done all that God has called him to do. But you know what? Moses wasn't satisfied just with what God had given him so far, in the sense that he was blessed, but he had a burden for others. Look at verse 29. Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Raoul, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we're setting out for a place of which the Lord said, I will give to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. So Moses is heading out, and he sees his brother-in-law. Raoul is also another name for Jethro, the son of Jethro. He looks over, and he sees, he sees his, his brother-in-law, and he says, Hey, God's given us a great promise. We're headed to the land of milk and honey. Man, come with us. That should be the heart of every Christian. Amen? Every believer this side of heaven should have a burden for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen? Shouldn't that be our passion? What's the Great Commission? Go therefore into all the world and what? And be as comfortable as you can and just chill till I come. No, 
He said, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we see Moses being an example. He's hung out with the Lord. It's so precious to him. He sees his brother-in-law and he says, man, you've got to come with us. We're going to the land of promise. Milk and honey, man. Come on. And we'll treat you well. We're going to bless you. You know, the Bible says it's kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? Standing on a box with a megaphone shouting at people and telling them they're sinners is not real effective just doesn't work real well. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. We need to let people know they're sinners in need of a Savior, but they need to see the love of God in us. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Amen? Love people. Didn't Jesus love people? He loved them. He loved the people that no one else wanted to love. He loved the prostitutes and the tax collectors and touched the lepers that no one else would touch. That should be our heart as Christians. And so he reaches out to his brother-in-law. But look at, look at his brother-in-law, sadly. Look how he responds, verse 31. Verse 30, excuse me. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. Hobab wanted to stay in the wilderness with his parents. Have you ever witnessed to somebody just happy with, you know, I'm cool, I'm cool where I'm at, man. That's good for you. You go in the land of milk and honey, that's great. You know, I'm in the desert and I don't know it. You know, that's the reality. You know, my life is empty and meaningless, but I have no idea. You know, I'm happy. You know, I'm going to go have another six-pack. I'll feel better. I mean, the reality is that too often that's the world that God has such a great plan for your life. He loves you so much. And we're just, oh, man, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm flipping through TV channels last night, and there's some show on, and this guy was on there, and he said to this lady, do you really believe in God? She said, absolutely. Without Jesus, my life would be a disaster. He goes, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God garbage. And she said, what do you believe in? He goes, I believe aliens put us here. She goes, what? Yeah, aliens came and put us here, and as soon as we get to their level, then we'll be able to go find their planet. They put us here. I'm like, people will believe anything, but the fact that there's a God who loves them and died and paid that they might have eternal life, died on the cross for them. And we see her, he's like, come on, he's like, nah, I'm cool in the wilderness. It's all good right here. I'm fine. No, and, and now watch Moses. Now, I love Moses because this is how we ought to be. Now look at him. Moses said, please do not leave. Inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes, it shall be that if you go with us, indeed it shall be that whatever, God, whatever the good, good the Lord will do to us, he will, the same we will, we will do to you. Hey, you know what? Don't go home. We can use you here. Come with us, man. You know, come with us. We can use you here. You'll be a blessing to us. Come with us. Do you th- now, who's leading the tribe? What's leading the tribe? The cloud. Do they need this guy's eyes? No. Some commentators said, oh, this guy would probably be helpful because he'd know the terrain. Oh, please. We got God leading us. We got a pillar of cloud. Do we need this guy? No. But what he does, he says, bro, puts his arm around him. Man, come with us. Come with us, man. God's going to bless you if you come with us. Come hang out with us. We're headed to the land of promise. It's going to be awesome. You're going back to dirt, man. You're going back to the wilderness. And that's what we're chasing in the world. Nothing but dirt. Come with us. You're important. God will bless you. He loves you. Hey, guys, we're headed to heaven. Amen? When was the last time you invited someone to go with you? When was the last time you invited someone to go with you? When was the last time you shared your faith and just loved somebody? You know what? Sometimes, Augustine said, share your faith every single day and when necessary, use words. Amen? We should just love everybody. We should be so supernatural in our love that people will say, what is up with you? And you can say, it's Jesus. 
Moses had a burden for his brother-in-law. Man, I wouldn't take no for an answer. Dude, come on, man. I'm telling you, you'll be blessed. God's going to bless you. Last few verses, verse 33. Again, glorifying God as we follow Him. Not, o- not only following the Lord and inviting others to come with us, but glorifying Him as we go. Verse 33. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the Ark of the Covenant went before them for the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. So God's dwelling went before them. Who goes before us into the battle? God does. Who's a, our God is a faithful and awesome God. He's, the God. he's a great God that we serve. Verse 34, And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day, and they went out from the camp. If any of you were at the pastor's conference this year at Mount Hermon, everybody was invited. You might have heard Pastor John Corson's message about living under the cloud. And what did he say? It was way what? It was way cool. And isn't that true? When you're walking under the cloud with the Lord, he said it's way cool. And it really is. When you're walking with the Lord, it's, it's a blessing to be there. It's a get-to, not a have-to. I love what God lets me do for a living. I can't believe I get to do this. I cannot believe I get to do this. I am so blessed. It's such a get-to and not a have-to. And I've had f- former co-workers and different people say, dude, you took a huge pay cut and you sold your house, moved into a trailer. and all. You know what? I get to do something that's going to outlive this life. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter. It's way cool to walk in the center of God's will. It's not, oh, God's such a bummer. He makes me walk under his cloud. What a drag. No, it's a blessing. It's a joy to walk in the center of God's will. You know what? You get outside of his will, it gets really hot. And if you stay outside of his will, it's going to get really hot, right? So here's the reality. Walk under the cloud. That's where God went. Verse 35. So it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So what does Moses do? He prays. Every time they moved, no matter how many times it was, when they moved, he said as as he raised, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. God had already said he was going to win the battle. But... Does it confuse you sometimes that God wants us to pray about things He's already said He would do? Don't we pray and say, Lord, reach out to the world. Lord, go forth in power and touch people with your, with your love. Lord, and we pray things He's already promised to do, don't we? Well, why do we do that? Because prayer doesn't change God's mind, it does what? It changes our hearts. Moses, in front of all the people, is letting them know it's God who's in control. When he rises up, we're following him. When he comes back, we need him to rest on us. I'm not leading you, he is. We've got to trust in him. If our eyes aren't on him, if our focus isn't on him, we're going to be in big trouble. And so every time it would come, Lord, rest upon us again. Rise up and may your enemies scatter before you. Help us to follow you, Lord. So in closing, God's call to move. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, just think about it. Have you become complacent in your walk with God? Have you become complacent in your walk with God? When I was a youth pastor for almost 15 years, I used to tell the youth group kids, Christianity is like a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down, you can't stay in the same spot. And I really believe that to be true. I know how theologically sound the grease pole thing is, but I really believe that to be true, that we're either drawing closer to Him or we're falling away from Him. We're either pressing into the kingdom, we're in love with Him, we're spending time in His Word, and we're seeking after Him, or we're getting caught up in our own life, and we're getting complacent, and we're falling away from the Lord. 
Have you become complacent in your walk with God? Are you satisfied where things are right now? You know, I don't think as Christians we should ever be satisfied with our walk. Amen? Shouldn't we always want to be closer to Him? I mean, we can be blessed right where we are. I'm blessed where I am. I'm closer to the Lord at this moment than I've ever been in my life. But my prayer is that I can say a year from now the same thing. Amen? If we keep getting closer to Him, our heart should be always, yeah, Lord, I, want, I can't wait till next year. Because I'm going to spend more time in your word and more time seeking after you. God wants to do more with you. I'm talking to every one of you and I'm talking to me. God wants to do more with you than he's doing right now. He wants to do more with me and he wants to do more with you. What's keeping him from doing more with us? What's getting in the way? We are. Complacency. I don't want to be stretched. Lord, I'm good right where I'm at. Lord, that's for someone else to do. Lord, I'm not called to do that. Let someone else do it. Man, I, I so desperately want to see Santa Cruz County turn right side up for Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't you want to see this place on fire for God? Don't you want to see people coming to know the Lord? I'm praying, you know, last Sunday, we go Sunday, you know, four people got saved. I love it. People getting saved. God's doing good things. People getting saved on Friday night. People getting saved in the women's body. People getting saved. That's awesome. But now, now people need to be discipled and more hungry for God. And you know what? Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. We fall in love with the Lord, we're going to be contagious. We shouldn't be satisfied with the status quo. We shouldn't be satisfied just on the cruise ship to heaven. God wants to do more with us. And the way He's going to do that is to be led by His Holy Spirit to do His perfect will. None of us wants, us to, wants to be stretched. Nobody wants to leave the comfort zone. But if you're never stretched, you won't grow. See God's face. What's the greatest ability of all abilities in the kingdom of God? It's availability. Amen? Because every ability comes from Him. The only part that we have is, here I am, Lord, use me. I'm, I'm right here. I don't even know what you want, Lord, but I, I know you want more. Here, take me. Use me. Show me. That's the person God's going to use. Amen? So, the end result is, you're going to grow spiritually, and your life will have an impact on eternity. If, we'll just, if we won't be happy with the status quo, we won't remain complacent in our walk with God, that will hunger for Him more than we ever have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word and we thank you, Lord, for the example, Lord, that you do lead us by your spirit, that you confirm it in your word, Lord, that you don't want us to be complacent in our walk. You so desire, Lord, that, that to use us, Father, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. What a privilege that we get to be used by you and, Lord, that we get to have an impact on eternity, not because of how good we are, but because of how great you are. Lord, I pray for each person who's here that that, Lord, if we've been too complacent in our walk with you, Lord, stir us up by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to do more. Give us your eyes, Lord. May us see our neighbors the way you see them. May our heart be broken for our coworkers and our classmates the way that your heart is broken. Lord, show us the calling you've placed upon our lives and help us to respond in the power of the Holy Spirit to say, yes, Lord, use me. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. We do lift up Santa Cruz County to you, Lord. We pray you just do an awesome work here. Father, help us, Lord, to reach out and to love people the way you love them. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.